0: Well, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the second chapter of the New Testament book of Titus. That would be page 844 and the church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. Titus chapter 2, we're going to read all of chapter 2 and bits and pieces of the early part of chapter 3. Titus 2 and the early parts of chapter 3. Well, let's hear the word of the Lord. This is Paul writing to Pastor Titus in the city of Crete. Verse 1, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good, and your teachings show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them. But to show that they can be fully trusted so that in everything they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority, Do not let anyone despise you. Chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. And to show true humility toward all humanity. That's the word there. It's not just men as in men, masculine. It's everyone. Christian or not. Show true humility toward everyone. At one time... We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is our concern this morning. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Amen. We'll stop there. May God bless the reading of His Word this morning. Let's pray, please ask for the help that we need. God and Father, as we turn to your Bible, we ask for your help. We ask for the enabling of the Holy Spirit, not only for me in speaking, but everyone in understanding so that we can understand the Bible clearly, to believe it humbly, and to live in its light faithfully. We ask this, God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now most of you know that we've been working through the book of Daniel verse by verse since late September. We're going to return to the book of Daniel in two more weeks. I do want you to know that I am doing a tremendous amount of reading and studying to try to make sense of these final chapters in Daniel. They are very difficult and I want to get them right. There's whole kinds of outlooks on the chapters, so I need I need to be careful. However, one of the things I picked up on in my studies in Daniel is whoever or whatever this antichrist person is or spirit is, a spirit which 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 tells us is at work in the world now, it is a horrible, wretched, and disruptive spirit as it works in individuals. It feeds on the weaknesses of others. It speaks defiantly and condemningly and boastfully, and it is arrogant, it is unruly, it is self-centered, it defies God-given authority, and it is unkind. And I use the final word unkind purposely because I think, I think we've learned this in our studies with Daniel. Part of God's grace in Daniel was that Daniel was not an unruly person. He wasn't beastly. He wasn't savage in his demeanor. He didn't use power plays on people. No. But he was self-controlled. He was submissive to his authorities. And as such, he was a well-mannered person. And because Daniel was kind, he had a life. Listen carefully. He had life-changing relationships with two world leaders who God used to declare his greatness to the world. In other words, Daniel was kind, and in his kindness, others were drawn to God, and many were given truth about God to consider. This is why this is this is not like human kindness, like being nice. This is way more than that. So, loved ones, think for a moment with me in terms of the increasing hostility and rudeness in public discourse, whether it be in political discourse, uh, social media discourse, or even as of late College campuses, the one place one would hope to find some civility. Let me just give you an example. If you listen to what was said within the framework of the political discourse this past election cycle, it was apparent, very apparent, that the use of language and the approach of so many individuals was pugnacious, it was discourteous, it was dirty, and it was downright ill mannered and unkind. The same is true in social media. I followed a Twitter feed in in October last year, I can say that now, last year two different evangelical leaders were tweeting back and forth about who their person they wanted in office. And the whole thing was horrible. I was, as a follower of Jesus, I was deeply saddened, you know. The followers of the people were tweeting terrible things to each other. Very unattractive. Very unkind. I told my wife it read something like uh, junior high school. With my apologies to junior high school students. This is not good. And we know this would not be the approach our Lord Jesus Christ would himself take, an approach which you would be able uh, to justify just by any quick reading of the New Testament. Yet still, still we, we ought to recognize in making these kinds of observations, there is an inconsistency, inconsistency which exists in these things with all who profess faith in Jesus Christ the inconsistency on the one hand of proclaiming the good news, and yet being guilty at the same time of speaking in tone and tact as if there were never really was any good news to begin with, right? This is James chapter 3. With our tongues, we praise our Lord and Father, and with those same tongues, James says, we, we curse people, and again, all people who all people who have been made in God's likeness. And so James goes on and says, brothers and sisters, that ought not to be. And so many of us would have to admit, which is a very kind way of saying, I hope all of us would admit. We are prone to fits of anger. We are prone to dissensions and divisions. It is not difficult for us to quarrel. It's very easy for us to slander people we have never met, especially those who hold political office or people of different sexual orientation or outlooks or frameworks of life. It is very easy to have a general bent of discourtesy to those who do not live like we do, think like we do, behave like we do within the framework of our social life, common life, Indeed, maybe even in the church, universal or local. And when we do this, we completely ignore what Paul writes to Titus. You see this if your Bible's open. Titus chapter three, verse two. He re, he's reminding God's people in the church in Crete. And of course, what is true in Crete is just as true in Cohasset. He reminds them to slander no one, to insult, to defame the name of, to slander no one, and to show true humility toward all of humanity, everyone. Everyone. And by the way, the word humility in the Greek has a sense of mildness. And some translations even use the word kindness to show true kindness to everyone. Therefore, it is incompatible, not impossible, but it's incompatible that the same people who believe God is sovereign over the world that Daniel chapter 2, he sets times and seasons. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, he puts people in power. Those same people who believe that to behave as if this world is actually out of control. And one of the ways that we're going to fix it, our clean house, is by our conduct and our speech to others. Now, to whatever extent this is fair and true, and I leave that for your own judgment we should recognize that we're not the first generation nor congregation which has to face up to this challenge. Which is why I read from Titus 2 and parts of 3. As Paul, under God, he writes to Pastor Titus and he urges him, and you can see this just in the whole framework of the book, get everything right. Get your doctrine right. Get your leaders right. Get get the different age groups thinking right. And make sure the people of God understand that there is a direct relationship between faith and faith and practice between our confession of Christ and our conduct as followers of Christ. That true belief is not a dead thing. It's alive. True belief will always work itself out in right behavior, even if that behavior is repentance for the bad behavior, right? Which is actually a sign of good behavior. Isn't that true, right? Part of the part of being good, have been behaving good is realizing that we're not good. And that we're going to have to have daily repentance in order that we could be good. And once a Christian gets that, it means they're really understanding Christianity and themselves. So Paul is telling Titus that the good news of Jesus and the good behavior of those who follow Jesus, they got to go hand in hand. Let me just give you one example in relationship to, verse 9, slaves or bondservants but this is really true for all Christians, right? Paul is saying, when the Christian gets a hold of the truth of the gospel in every age and stage of life, then they will, verse 10, make the teaching of the gospel attractive, right? In other words, they will make the gospel, the story of the good news about Jesus, so attractive that those who've never heard the story, those who've been wrestling with the implications of the story, those who have a whole lot of questions in light of the story... They will not be turned off by the hostility, by the ugliness, the rudeness, or the unkindness in the life of those who are charged by God to tell them the story. Rather, they would find themselves saying this, please tell me the story. As a result of what I've seen in you, I want you to tell me about this Jesus. You see, when we get that right, when people actually see Christ in us, many people will be compelled to ask something. That's the the line of logic that Peter has in 1 Peter 3, right? In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, ruler. Then be prepared for questions, right? Make sure you got the answers because questions are going to come. And Paul says, making the teaching of the gospel attractive by our kind behavior. Now, all that leads me to a question, and And the question is pretty simple because I see this principle in David. I see it in Daniel. I see it in Paul. I see it in Jesus. And would to God we would all see it in ourselves. The question is pretty simple. I wonder what would happen in the life of a congregation or in the life of an individual if they set out this new year setting themselves to think through the implications or attractiveness of the fruits of the Spirit, namely a kindness, What would happen if we set ourselves this year thinking about the implications of the attractiveness of all the fruits of the Spirit? Yes, but especially kindness. So we have Galatians 5.22, right? The fruit of the Spirit. This is a picture of who Jesus is. His love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What would happen if we took those to heart? Now, our concern this morning is only with kindness, and and I kind of gave you the line of thinking that I went down, but before we get to kindness, let's do this. First point back at the worship folder, you'll see this. Three truths about the fruits of the Spirit in general, right? So when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in our life, these are people that are Christians. Number one, We have to understand that when we speak of the fruit of the Spirit, this is the product of the work of the Holy Spirit and the true child of God who has been saved by grace. In other words, this is a work of the Spirit. This is not by imitation. This is not produced by law or good works. A mere man, a mere woman cannot manufacture this, and this is not theater, right? So someone is kind, and we like the oos and ahs that they get from others when they're kind. So we say, I want to be kind. And we shake ourselves. And we try to do something even more kinder. And that would be theater. This is not that. This is the product of the life of God taking place in the Christian's core. So that in this fruit bearing, the only boast would be in God. And what by grace God has accomplished in us. Period. Right? That's the first thing. Second thing, it follows then that the fruit, specifically kindness, is the evidence of the person abiding in Christ. This is pretty simple, right? How do I know when I'm operating in the flesh? Galatians 5.19, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissension, division, factions, immorality, pretty easy. That's me being me. It goes on, how do we know that we're following the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, love and joy, peace and patience, goodness, kindness, and so on. You remember the words of Jesus. He told his disciples in John chapter 15 that he's the vine and that we're the branches. He goes on to say, and this is J.B. Phillips' translation, it is the one who shares my life and whose life I share who proves fruitful. For the plain fact is, Apart from me, listen carefully, you can do nothing at all. Let's read it like this. Apart from me, you cannot be kind. Now, we're not talking about like kind being nice. We're talking about spirit-filled kindness. So, one of the effects of the fruits of the Spirit is indeed a quality of life that endears, if you would, in this atmosphere of kindness. I mean, that's it. An atmosphere of kindness Therefore, this is a life where, spiritual life, the fruit of the ministry of the Spirit is produced by the Spirit. It is the evidence that the believer is genuinely abiding in Christ. And again, if a believer is just being kind or good for goodness sake, to save face or appearance, they don't want to feel bad anymore, there is no kingdom fruit from this at all. Mere human kindness versus Spirit-empowered kindness will always be this. Lots of people can be kind. But Spirit-empowered kindness draws people, all people, to bring attention to Jesus, to know Him, to praise Him, to cry out for His mercy if they need it. Thirdly, the fruit of the Spirit, as we've been saying, isn't just confined to kindness, but it's all the fruits produced in a believer's life together, right? All nine fruits. In other words, this is like one of those delicious fruit drinks my daughter makes in her little bullet, right? She just doesn't put strawberries in ice. She puts strawberries. She puts pin- pineapple. She puts bananas. I'm giving you good recipes. If you're not taking notes, maybe you should take them now. <laughs> Yogurt, and she puts it in the blender and you know, and, bzzz, and open it up and oh, It's great. All those different things blended together love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, gentleness, self control, faithfulness, and the thing. The Spirit of God is at work in a believer's life, not just producing one, but producing all nine, which makes us challenging, which makes us humbling, because when the light of Scripture shines on us, We know what we think we are, but God knows what we actually are. You see, for a moment, I want you to think uh, about the spirit of the Antichrist, which is now at work in the world. This person will condemn others. They will judge others. They will show no patience with others, no matter who other is. And they have no such authority. Why? Well, James says it like this. There's only one lawgiver and there's only one Judge, and it's not us. Do you find yourself doing this? Sometimes you're reading something online, you're watching maybe something on cable. Those stupid people, if they could just, they better keep away from my kids. I can't believe they're gonna. One law giver, one judge. And yes, some fruit might be stronger in us than others, but as John Stott says perfectly, God is interested in creating in us a whole integrated character, namely making us like Jesus, right? And so when we consider the life of Jesus, we see all nine of these attributes just flow perfectly like a wonderful song in the life of our Savior and King that's the three truths about this spirit first the fruit of the ministry of the spirit is the spirit's operation in god's true children second it is the evidence that believe that the believer is genuinely abiding in christ third the spirit works in all of us who belong to jesus all nine not just a few so today our concern is of course kindness So let's begin with God. Number two, second point, final point, the kindness of God. Now, kindness in the New Testament is always to be understood as a disposition of heart. I think I said it just a moment ago. Kindness is the atmosphere of the heart, the person's outlook, the person's temperament, the core of that person. When the Holy Spirit is active, is kindness. It's their bent as a result of the Spirit's work in them. Let me give you one example from the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David, King David asked, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Right? And of course, this is a picture of the gospel. And Jonathan had a son who was disabled. And David showed Mephibosheth, I wasn't going to try to say it, Mephibosheth, incredible kindness therefore, when we think about kindness, we have to understand that kindness is grounded in the very character of God. So, if I was taking notes, that's what I write down. Kindness is grounded in the very character of God. Now, in my mind, I can hear a person say, well, can you just get to the part to tell me what to do, right? I'm not a kind person. I admit that. I want to get it right. Start with me. But you see, loved ones, anytime, anytime we begin with ourselves in anything, we will always get it wrong always. Calvin, we must first descend from a devoted meditation of the triune God. Then we come to consideration with ourselves. In other words, let me translate that for you. It's only understanding who God is and what God is that we will be able to make sense of who and what we are in Christ. In other words, theology always comes before anthropology. Uh, the gazing on God before we ever look to ourselves. Uh, God in his glory before man and his need. So listen to your Bibles. This is Psalm 145. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Kind in everything he does. People say, well, who is God and what is God like? We say, God is good to everyone. He's faithful in all his words, and he is kind to all his works. Which is why the psalmist continues and writes The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. So, loved ones, this is the kindness of God. You've messed up bad. I mean, you think about this course of this year, this past year, you're in great trouble, and you're afraid, and you're falling. You made a number of bad decisions in sequence that have turned out to be horribly wrong. And you think that you're never going to be the same again or things will never be normal and you're falling. You're dead inside and there is no life in you and you're falling. Good news. This first Sunday of 2017, the kindness of God is real. It is not pretend. I promise you, as you are bowed down, if you are falling, He will lift you up. How do I know this? Well, one, personal experience, but Psalm 145 tells us, God is faithful in all His works, and He is kind to all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. In other words, God's promises can be trusted because God is kind. When you go to Hosea chapter 11, Verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And this is a picture of God dealing with his people. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. Okay, this is a picture that we need. The more God's word came to them, the more they would fight it off. The closer God wanted to be with them, the farther they would go away. That is the human predicament, right? That is us, man as man, outside of Jesus Christ. There's a great song on an Apple commercial that has the line, run, 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 run. This is us with God. We are running away, running away. And yet God says, it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, And I became to them as one who eased the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and I fed them. What a lovely picture. God was his being a good father. What is an attribute of a good, good father? Kindness. I'm going to help you, children. And this is God. God comes to his people in the awareness of our deadness to him and he comes to us in kindness and Hosea says he ties us to him. So when we think about God and us, we should never get this picture of us, you know, going like, oh, God, and then God reaching down, oh, you know, and it's just like, Is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen? T- terrible picture. The better picture is us like the bad kid in the grocery store, right? His hands are like this, and his mother's saying, Give me your hand, and he's like, I'm not gonna give you my hand, give me your hand, and you have to watch that whole terrible thing unfold, and the mother starts to grab the hand and is like, Oh, please, stop. No, this is what God does. We're like this, right? And God ties Himself with His cords of love and kindness to Him. This is what the New Testament teaches us, right? Luke chapter 6, verse 35. One of the ways that we reveal ourselves as a follower of Jesus is we deal with people the way God would deal with people. How does God deal with people? Well, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Right? God whose absolute purity deals kindly with those not like Him at all. Let me say that again. God, absolute purity, deals kindly with those not like Him at all. What is God like? He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, which means at least this. God's kindness is uninfluenced by the gratitude or the ingratitude of those to whom it is given. Let me say it again. God's kindness is uninfluenced by the gratitude or the ingratitude of those to whom it is given. Right? We don't operate that way, but God does. Right? Someone gives us a gift. And we don't give them a thank you card. Sometimes like, Man, that's not happening again. When I mean, you give a gift, they should give you a card. I can't believe they were so unkind and you give me a card. I'm never going to do it again. Someone is, is nice to us and we don't give them the feedback that they need. The person's like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. I mean, I went out of my way to do X and I gave them Y and they gave me Z. That's the human predicament. That's not God. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I called out to my people, God says in Hosea, and I led them. They ran away from me. They went off with foreign gods. Yet still I chose them. I bound them to me. Why did God bind them to him? Because this is God's character. Deuteronomy 7, 7. I didn't set my love on you, God said to his people, because you were more in numbers. because, Because actually you're the fewest. But I set my love on you because I loved you. You see, that's the logic of the New Testament. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, right? You were like the rest, the objects of my wrath. Colossians 2, when you were dead, right? When we were dead, God made us alive. The Christians, this is us outside of Jesus. We're lying down in our puddle of sin like this, dead. Until what? Until God's grace came. Okay, why? Why? Well, part of the answer is Ephesians 2, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In other words, think this through, through our conversion, when we understand it correctly and we can explain it and we can enjoy it correctly, people from all eternity might say at a most basic level, oh my, oh my Look how kind God is to do this, right? Look how kind God was. They were ungrateful, and they were wicked, and yet God drew them and tied them to himself. The hymn writer says this perfectly. The love of God is broader than the measure of our mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Kind, loved ones, God's kindness is not hindered by the reaction of those whom he sets his love. I mean, if that was the case, then, then, then grace doesn't mean what we think it means, right? That's Paul's argument in Romans 2. Romans 1, he, he shows the predicament of man, at man, man as man outside of Jesus. Then in chapter 2, he answers the question, okay, what about the Jewish people? Do they have some kind of special connection which they can employ for the well-being of their souls? And Paul's like, sure, if they can keep the law perfectly, sure. And what does he do? He makes the case that they can't because no one can. So even God's chosen people, the Jews, sin dreadfully. So again, it's still the kindness of God. This is the early part of Romans 2, which leads one to repentance. This is the love of God for those who don't love him. So he's patient in his kindness with us. It was God, if he would, running to his people who would run away from him. And that brings us full circle back to Titus 3 and verse 3 and 4, which, by the way, is the Christmas Day passage for the Anglican church. You see it there, verse 3. At one time, we were really, really bad, right? But then it goes on. But when the kindness and love of God appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done. It's beautiful, right? This is spirit-filled kindness. Question: And whom did this loving kindness appear? Answer: Jesus. Right? Only Jesus? Yes, only Jesus. And this is why this is why I can't stand um, moralistic preaching, how-to preaching because it turns the gaze to ourselves. As if we at any point Was the source of our transformation or even our sanctification. Loved ones, the Bible beckons us to look at Jesus and see the ultimate expression of God's kindness and what He did and how He lived and how He dealt with people. Then, once we see this, at that point, we begin to understand something of God and God's kindness. So instead of of prone as we are to moan and groan, we should be saying, Isn't God amazing? I mean, isn't God so kind to us? I mean, that's going to be the song of heaven. Isn't it amazing that God would love those who do do not love him? That God would seek those who were not seeking him? That God would show his kindness in order to soften our hearts and open up our eyes and make us realize if we got what we deserved, it would be horrible. But he gives us something we entirely do not deserve. He gives us grace, forgiveness, new nature, peace, eternal life, and kindness. Why does God do this? Because God is kind. And you see, loved ones, all of that must be the soil, uh, the, the framework, the dirt, which we begin to think about the growth of God's kindness in us. This is it. We did not deserve it, but God gave it. Others might not deserve it, but we will give it still. And we are to grow in this mind. We are to let this mind be in us. So at the very beginning of my studies this week, I came across this quote. I'd like to give it to you. Because God has been gracious toward believers, they should treat all people with kindness. All people are created in God's image and should be treated according, no matter how badly they have twisted and deformed that image. Kindness is not an apathetic response to sin, but a deliberate act to bring the sinner back to God. In other words, listen carefully. Just like love, kindness is evangelistic. Kindness is evangelistic. Human kindness Isn't she nice? Spirit-empowered kindness. Isn't Christ amazing? Huge difference. Huge difference. Let's pray together as we prepare to sing and take communion this morning. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your kindness. We know we don't deserve it. And we pray that as we embark on this year together as your people, that we would be given the grace day by day by day to be kind, spirit-filled kindness for the glory of our King and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.